All right, well, today we're continuing in our sermon series in 1 John. Uh, it's John, one of John's three letters. It's the first of his three letters in our Bible. And so we're also continuing in the work we began last week, um, where we were looking at God's love. Now, two things I promise you about today's sermon. First, there will be absolutely no singing on my part. <laughs> uh, no song references, I promise. Uh, and two... As we dig deeper into the truth that God is love, we will no doubt be carried along in wonder as we consider just how God's love is perfected in us. That, that's what John wrote twice in our passage, that God's love is being perfected in us. Now, what does that mean? What does it look like? Well, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, that he, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in, excuse me, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know his will, if you want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that this disciple John um, walked with you, Jesus, and you have made him faithful. And as you had promised, you would send the spirit of truth so that the testimony concerning you would go out throughout the world. And it's here with us today. And so we ask that you would press deeper into our minds and our hearts uh, what you would have us learn this morning, that you are the God in love who completes us. Uh, and that brings joy to our lives. Holy Spirit, have your way in our midst, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> when you hear the words perfect pitch, what comes to mind? I guess it depends if you prefer music over baseball. A musician or a singer with perfect pitch is able to listen to a note being played and then like, know what that note is and be able to play without seeing any um, musical notation. Mariah Carey, Freddie Mercury, Jimi Hendrix are said to have 
perfect pitch. You know, Jimi Hendrix, when he was first learning to play guitar, didn't have enough money to, to afford a guitar tuner, so it's said that he would go to his local music store and play an instrument there, the notes he needed to hear, and then return home and tune his guitar. Now, in baseball, a perfect pitch is, well, it's anything that left the hand of Sandy Koufax. Perfect is tough to come by. Perfect score in bowling, and I'm not talking about the Nintendo Wii bowling, very, very hard. A perfect score on the SAT. You know, my brother missed one question on the SAT, one question away from perfection. You know, I would have been elated by that score. I think I would have been elated by like 10 questions missed. Um, but it bothered my brother for years. Yes, it, he got into Princeton, right? But, but one question, one measly question haunted him. Today's sermon is titled, God is Love, Part Two, The Perfection of Love. And in my mind, I, I can hear Edith Bunker saying, Archie, Archie, he's talking about perfect love, Archie. And of course, he would say, ah, Edith, what does he know about love, that meathead? I, didn't, I promised you no singing, but I didn't promise you I wouldn't go back to 70 sitcoms. Um, I mean, what do we know about love? This week, we're building upon what we looked at last week. Last week, we looked at the portrait of love, and we came to see more clearly that God is the source of love, that God is by nature love. Love wasn't anything invented. It's always been with him. It's who he is. And God loves with a divine, merciful, love that covers a multitude of sins kind of love. And because God has so loved us, we ought to then love others with this amazing, costly, merciful, sacrificial love. That's what we looked at last week, right? How did that go this past week, by the way? So last week, we recognized our calling as children of God to love like our Heavenly Father. And we saw, though, that it's hard, but he's given us his Holy Spirit and his grace so that we have the power and the love by which um, to do this. But it's true, though, isn't it? it it's, it's hard to love with a no-matter-what, turn-the-other-cheek kind of love. We tend to love like the world loves. We love those who benefit us, who pat us on the back. We love those who don't make life all too difficult for us. We love those who are easy to love. And Jesus says that's what the world does, but not so you. We're to love differently. And so though when we read these words, that we, the word love and perfected together in the same sentence, we can shudder a bit, or at least we should. God's love perfected in us. And so we ask, you know, what does John mean? And how does this play out in my life? I mean, do I really want love perfected in me? I don't know. Sounds kind of hard. I hope by the end of our time this morning, we will come to both delight in God's promise here, as well as long for his love to be perfected in us. Now, in order to do that, it's vital for us to come to an understanding of this word perfected or perfect in our passage in, in the Greek, the word is teleo, and it's a nice-sounding word, teleo. It means to complete, to perfect, to finish. 
So it's not that we love perfectly, but this is about God and what he does in us. His love accomplishes its goal. That's what the the word here means. It has the sense of God having a goal for us in his creation and in us through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. He accomplishes what he intends. The love of God completes us. That's the big idea here this morning. Because God is love and because we are his children, his love changes us. It, It perfects us. It completes us. And we'll see this morning that it does so in three ways. Our headings are the complete circuit, complete confidence, and complete concern. See what I did that there? That's CCC. It's pretty good, huh? Don't laugh at me, Bob. Bob's laughing at me. All right, first, the complete circuit. I hope Kevin Rinfleiss doesn't get on me for this because, I mean, he knows far more about this than I do as an electrician. But do you know how a light switch works? I mean, when it's in the off setting, the light switch prevents power from traveling through the switch to the light fixture. But then when you flick it on, there's a metal connection that's made. There's a contact that completes the circuit. And electricity flows in and through the switch, and the light bulb lights up. Am I right? Yeah, I got the thumbs up from Kevin. That's good. So when the light switch is turned on, it completes the circuit. The circuit is open. The electrical power reaches its end. It's, it's completed. In verses 12 through 16, John shows how the love of God towards us in Christ completes the most important circuit ever, the circuit that reconnects us back to our creator. Now, here are the facts as scripture presents them. God is the supreme creator. Everything exists, exists for him, for his glory. In mankind, we are God's crowning glory in creation. We were made in God's image to reflect God's glory into his creation. We were made to live with God. That is, we abide in God and God abides with us. We were made to live with God's great love. We were to love God and we were to what? Love our fellow man. We know how this all ends. It all unraveled with that first couple, did it not? And so the circuit is broken, right? By nature, we're all born with that switch turned off to God and our fellow man. We don't abide in God, and God does not abide in us. We don't love God, and we really, if we're honest, we really don't love our neighbors all that well. So we're born with the circuit switched off, but thankfully, God gets the last word. Verse 12. In verse 12, we see the goal. Remember, there's, there's, God has a goal in mind. The goal of the gospel, my friends, isn't just to get you into heaven someday. It's not just to have your sins forgiven so you can just walk on this earth feeling pretty good about yourself. No, no the goal of the gospel is to have this circuit restored with you and God. That's his desire. That should blow us away. It should humble us. What kind of God would do such a thing? If it was me, I'd just leave the switch off. Who cares? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So here we see the goal in verse 12. It says, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. It's completing something. 
John is saying that, that, that if we love one another with this agape love that we looked at last week, this costly, sacrificial love, this die-unto-self kind of love, if we love as God has loved us, then it's a sign that God abides in us, right? And it's a sign that his work is being completed, right? The circuit has been complete. The switch is turned on. Now, please understand this. This is God's work in you, right? It's not your work in you. This is an activity of God's grace towards us, right? John states what? That it is his love being perfected in us. It's not our love making us perfect. The gospel isn't go and be loving. And then and only then will you complete this circuit with God. As John wrote in verse 19, a little further down, what? We love because he first loved us. So God first completes the circuit for us, and then we abide in love. And so if you're a Christian here today, make sure you remember this. The love that you now have for God and the love that you now have for your neighbor, that divine love is there in you because God took the initiative with you. Now, how do we know this? I'm glad you asked. In verse 13, John writes, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. How do we know that the circuit has been complete in our lives? Because he has given us his Holy Spirit. Now, how does the Holy Spirit help us to know? Well, it's not with warm, fuzzy feelings that we Christians tend to base our walk with the Lord upon. No, how does the Holy Spirit help us to know? Well, if you've come to believe in Christ, it's because the spirit of truth has opened your eyes, pointed you towards the testimony of the Father and the Son, what he's doing, this gospel message. And, and, and you've come to believe and trust and rest. That's what Jesus told his disciples would happen in that upper room, remember, in John 15? But when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of what? The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Amazing words. The Holy Spirit exists not to give us warm, fuzzy feelings. He exists not to draw attention to himself. Whenever we go looking for the Holy Spirit in a worship service, that's not our work. That's not the Spirit's work. We're to, the Spirit is there in the worship service to, to magnify Christ, our need of salvation. When you experience that, you know the Spirit is at work. <clears throat> so we are to know that this work has been complete in us because the Spirit is, has dwelled in us and we have come to believe. That's what John is saying in verse 14 through 16. He says, Follow the logic here. He has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son. That's John's talking about his work as an apostle to be the Savior of the world. And then he says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, all the stuff that goes with that, right? The cross, the resurrection. Um, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. 
This is the work of the Holy Spirit in us to cause us to believe the testimony. Christian, how do you know that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Warm fuzzies? No. You know that the Spirit dwells in you and this connection, this circuit is being reestablished by God because you've come to believe. If the Spirit of God had not come upon us, we would never come to believe the testimony. We'd be lost. We'd be confused. But if the Spirit of God has come upon you, you've come to believe. And you now experience this abiding, God in you and you in God. This is grace upon grace that we've been shown. Now, I really like how verse 16, um, what it brings to light. It really brings it all home with regards to this completed circuit. Here's what he says. So we've come to know and to believe. The word believe here has this sense of relying upon, like this trust, right? We have, we have come to know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. It's amazing, right? God is love. And, 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 and when by his grace we know his love and rely on his love, we know that this circuit has been complete. The renewal of God has come to us. The connection with God has been restored. We, we now love. We love God, and we now, or at least we should, love our neighbor uh, who bears God's image. And we love them with a sacrificial Christ-like love. And this is all for God's glory. Do we really live relying on the love of God? What a beautiful thing. All right, so that's the completed circuit. Now for complete confidence. When you think of having confidence, what comes to mind? Maybe for some of you, public speaking, like, wow, that would be really scary to stand up in front of a bunch of people. Or perhaps you're a student and you're thinking confidence comes, uh, uh, or you lose confidence around exam day, right? On test day, anxiety can form. Do I know my material? Maybe I should have gone through my notes just one more time. How many of you are so thankful those days are over? <laughs> All right. Um, in our passage, John speaks of a confidence that God gives us. And it's not a confidence that addresses our phobias, like public speaking. It addresses what should be our greatest fear imaginable. See, every one of us is going to die someday, odds makers say there's a 100% chance of you dying in your lifetime. And what the Son of God says is that every human being who's ever lived will one day stand before God and be judged for how they live their life. Christian and non-Christian alike will stand before God and give an account of every action, every thought, every word, good or bad, and understand this, Christian, on that day of judgment, your good deeds of love will bear testimony about you, to saying that you belong in heaven. How so? I mean, haven't we been taught that we're saved by grace through faith alone, right? Yes, we're saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. As John Piper writes, our deeds are not the basis of our salvation. They are the evidence of our salvation. They are not foundation. 
their demonstration. Right? You get that? In verses 17 to 18, John shows us how God's love perfected in us gives us complete confidence on that day of judgment. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. John wants his readers to delight in in, in the lavish love of God that completes us. The perfect love that God gives com- gives us complete confidence on this day of judgment. John says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Now understand, John's not saying that Christians won't have fearful, terrifying moments in our lives, like you will never get in a car crash or something, right? That's not what he's getting at. The fear that John is addressing is at the end of verse 18, for the fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with punishment. You know, I might, you guys will probably find this hard to believe, but uh, as a boy, I put my mother through hell. <laughs> uh, and a lot, unfortunately. Um, and she would often say, she would say, just wait until your dad gets home, right? He'll deal with you. Is that, am I the only person who ever went through that? Okay, just the guys in the room? All right. Well, trust me, that made for some long and fearful afternoons. And for some reason, my mom would never let, let me go visit a friend's house later in the day. I think she knew I probably would not come home. I feared the judgment. I deserved it, and I feared it. How much more so you and me, right? I mean, if sin can be broadly defined as living in the loving creator's world as if he does not exist, then we're all sinners in that regard. And we should be fearful of standing before God on that day of judgment. But John says that the faithful in Asia Minor churches that he's writing to have experienced the perfect love of God that casts out fear of judgment and gives them complete confidence before God. See, when you come to know and to experience the love that God has for you, so that the love that sends a son from heaven to be the savior of the world, to experience this love really truly casts out that fear. John is saying that love and fear of judgment cannot exist together. Does that make sense? Now, check this out, though. What John is saying is that that confidence isn't just for that day ahead, right? In, in our passage here, he shows us this is for everyday living. What is he, that's what he's getting at in verse 17. It's kind of a weird wording, but let me, I'll explain it to you. He says, because as he is, so also are we in this world. What is he saying there? John is saying that in this world, we are like him, that the him being Jesus, in how he lived in this world with great confidence. How did Jesus live in this world? Didn't Jesus live in this world as the dearly loved son of God whose father was caring for him at every moment of every day? Jesus abided in his father's love and the father's love abided in Jesus. John is saying this, so to us. 
Jesus walked by faith and not by sight, so to us. Jesus cried out in prayer to his heavenly Father, so to us. Jesus lived not for his own will to be done, but for, the, for his Father's will to be done, and so to us. Jesus lived for the kingdom of heaven, so to us. Jesus loved with a divine love, so to us. Jesus loved the unlovable, and so to us. That's what John is saying. As Jesus walked in this world, so too we. With that, that confidence, and to, to know that that fear of judgment is taken away changes how we live in the present, changes how we look at people. Every single human being on this planet is headed towards judgment day someday. changes how we live and how we love them and care for them. Christian, meditate upon that. God's love casts out fear. In this side of Judgment Day, we now live with complete confidence, or at least we should. In a few minutes, we're going to sing uh, one of our, our hymn of response, and it's in Christ alone. And the last stanza begins, you guys know this, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Now, Christian, do you not delight that Jesus commands your destiny every day of your life? Well, then let us abide in him as we live for him and his kingdom with complete confidence. So that's the complete circuit and the complete confidence. Now for the complete concern. The first two points we looked at lead into the last. See, because God has lovingly completed that circuit with us, and because we now have complete confidence to live in this world as Christ lived in this world, then what naturally flows out of these two realities is that God's love in us completes us in the sense that we now have concern for others. Picture yourself at the Last Supper and not that Judas guy, the other 11. Jesus is going to the cross tomorrow, so he takes time to tell you many things, including a command, a command to love. Three times that evening, after dinner, he said, a new command I give you, to love one another. Now, obviously, this is not a new command. You've heard Jesus say it before. A few weeks earlier, Jesus summarized all of God's commands with just two. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second one is, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. Listen, Christian, when the circuit of God's love is completed in us, and when God's love gives us complete confidence to live in this world for Christ and his kingdom, then we won't just love God, we will love others. Our concern will be complete. John says in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. When he says we love, it's not a command. It's an indicative. He's saying what is true. We now love with a concern for others because we were first loved by God. 
God's grace towards us completes us in that we now, we now live with Christ-like concern for others. So important is this completion of concern for others that John says, you cannot claim to know God and love God if you do not love others. You're a liar, he says. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and, hate, and, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John is arguing from lesser to greater. If you do not love your brother who you see, then you cannot love God who you cannot see. I like how John Calvin describes this verse. Listen, here's what he says. It is a false boast when anyone says that he loves God, but neglects his image, which is before his eyes. This must challenge us. How so? Because every human being, every human being is made in the image of God. Yes, I know some reflect it more than others. The fall really has tremendous effect upon his creatures. Every human being is broken and sinful and needy and mischievous and self-absorbed. Everyone. And so, therefore, people can be really hard to love drug dealers who give away free heroin in order to create new addicts, men who force abortions on their girlfriends, people who profit off of hate. Consider this. There is not a single day that goes by where someone doesn't say or do something that this world finds unconscionable. And on social media, it just explodes with all the outrage and indignation and the world wants you, Christian, to stand with them and vilify others made in God's image. How dare they? Those idiots. Who would ever do such a thing, right? John is telling us that this must not be our way. Now, I'm not saying that when there's a crime committed that we should just overlook injustice. Now, what I'm saying and what John is saying, what Jesus is saying, what the love of God is saying, that is saying that whoever loves God must love his brother. Must love his brother. That meth dealer preying on the weak, he bears the image of God. Yes, you have to search for it, but it's there. Bring it a little closer to home. It also means that person in your life that sets you on edge. You know the one I'm talking about, right? That one person who whenever you see them, the hair on your, on your back of your neck sticks up. That person you feel justified in harboring resentment towards. Your bitterness perhaps even feels right to you. But it's not. Whatever it is, it's not love. And so it, 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 it all takes us where? It takes us back to the cross. Listen, the cross is where our concern for others gets recalibrated. 
you know, I have, these, I have this pair of pedals on my bicycle, and they're not normal pedals. They measure the power of each foot as I spin. They, they measure the wattage. You know, you can, you can feel like you're having a good day on your bike, but the wattage never lies, right? At the end of the ride, I can see how and where I was strong or weak, get to see my average wattage, and even able to figure out how many calories you burned in the workout because of that. But what I need to do regularly with these pedals, and I have an app that I have to connect with the pedals, believe it or not, is, is I have to calibrate them regularly. Otherwise, the, the wattage could be off. If I don't calibrate my pedals, then I will think that I'm more powerful than I really am. My friends, that is what John is calling us to do, to calibrate our concern for others at the cross, not on social media. And it's true, isn't it? Over time, we can start to think we're pretty decent people, not like those other sinners. Yuck, ew, get away, how dare you? The cross recalibrates us so that our concern for others is complete. That's what verse 19 is all about. We love because he first loved us. God loved us when we were unlovable. Guess what? You were unlovable. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous. God did not wait for us to clean up our act before loving us, and neither shall we. When we go to the cross, we are reminded of how offensive we are apart from God's gracious work in our lives. God does not save the lovely. He saves vile sinners like you and like me. And then his love makes us lovely. Do you understand this? See, it's only when you understand that apart from Christ, you are no different from a tax cheat or a spouse abuser or a drug dealer. It's only then that the love of God works a complete concern in you. See, the love of God necessarily takes you through the cross of Christ. It's there and only there that concern for others becomes complete. And so it's something we must do daily, not hourly. And as you think of that one person that popped in your mind, that one who, who, who gets the hair in the back of your neck riled up, how does this teaching of John change you in your attitude towards them? Forgiveness is hard. It's a work. We must make peace. It doesn't come naturally. But in Christ, in the gospel, our concern becomes complete. We begin to love the unlovable. Well, this morning we've seen that the love of God completes us because God is love and we are his children. His love towards us changes us. It perfects us. It completes us. His love restores our relationship with God so that the circuit is now complete. We come to abide in God. We abide in his love and he abides in us. We love God and we love our neighbors. And his love, we've, it casts out fear, does it not? 
God's love gives us complete confidence before God, and therefore we're free to love and serve others no matter the cost. God's love takes us to the cross where we see his great concern for our souls. And at the same cross, God calibrates our love for others too. Grace Church, may we delight in this reality all the more. May we so thoroughly soak in the love of God that we become like him on this earth and that we love the unlovely as our Father in heaven has loved us. And may we embrace our Lord's command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Pray. Father, this calling is otherworldly. It is beautiful to behold. And we desire what you desire. We desire that you would abide in us. Holy Spirit, show us more thoroughly this testimony of the cross. May we become people who live connected with you. May the circuit be complete every day of our lives. May we rest in that truth. May we have complete confidence and may our complete concern for others bring glory to you, we pray. Amen.